0: Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. I dare you. Uh, the the title for this week is "I Dare You to Take Action." I dare you to take action. Um, we've been called. Uh, God speaks. God has passions and he's got desires for us. And and he communicates to us those things. And we ask him for signs and wonders. And we ask him to speak to us. And we ask him to reveal himself to us. And he does. There's not a person in here. I can tell you now, the Bible is true. Let every man be a liar, but God is not. The Bible says, ask and you will receive. You might not receive the way you think you want to receive. But God will never be quiet. God speaks. His word is clear. Certain things he doesn't have to speak on anymore because he's already spoken. He's already said it. He doesn't have to repeat himself. He's not like a pastor that says the same line over until he remembers what the next line is. He knows exactly what's in the word. And the word is clear. So God is calling us to take action on the things he's already spoken to us. But not just that, for the things he's saying to you right now also. One of the worst feelings in the world is when, it's like in that Home Alone movie, the wake-up call, the alarm, like this, the electricity goes off, and in those days, they didn't have cell phones, so the alarm didn't go off. Like, you missed your wake-up call. Like, you've got that that thing that you know you have to get to, you're, you're limited with time, and you got to get there, and... Um, That's why they have wake-up calls in hotels, which is great, because then you can blame somebody else. It's somebody else's responsibility to get you awake. Now, after you receive the wake-up call in the hotel, you still have the responsibility to get out of bed. They've done their job. It's still up to you to take the next step. So it's called a wake-up call, and and we've changed the meaning of a a wake-up call in society and today a little bit also because wake-up calls are not just to wake up in the morning. Wake-up calls are events now that becomes a wake-up call. In 1912, when the Titanic took its maiden voyage, was going through icy waters, and several surrounding ships sent messages to the Titanic warning them of icebergs in the water. Every single one of those warnings were wake-up calls. Hey, be careful. There are icebergs, and, and you are heading straight towards them. What you might not know is that the communications officer aboard the Titanic wired back to one of those messengers saying, Shut up. Shut up. We are busy here. You're jamming our signal. We're working. And a disaster happened. 1,500 people died. Here are a few wake-up calls that some of us have already had in life. First one, you are replaceable. Right? You are. We make it, I'm going to walk out of here, and you're never going to see me again. And then when they say, okay, you think to yourself, wait, you weren't supposed to say okay. And they just go, okay, and they go on as if you weren't there the day before. Another one, I'm breaking up with you because I think I can do better. Uh, can you? <laughs> Wake up, right? You're already doing way better than what you should. Yesterday, I spoke with a friend and we were talking about divorce. Getting a divorce is not going to make things easier. It doesn't. Wake up call. Your debt, here's a big one it doesn't just pay itself off. Have you ever experienced that? It's like it's still there. And here's another one for, for many of my friends you are not 40 anymore. Your body cannot do what it used to do. So wake up call. There's things in our body it tells us. Now we are in in Daniel chapter 5. And we are reading about a king by the name of Belshazzar. Belshazzar has all the information he needs to avert a major catastrophe. A major disaster. He has all the information needed to not sail ahead. And he needs a wake-up call. And I believe that God seeks to get people attention in our lives, in this world, throughout our life, in a number of different ways. My hope always is that God's attention is sought not just—or our attention is given to, to God, not just when we face disaster or difficulty. My hope is that you rather live a life where your attention is so focused on God because of His goodness— That's where I want you to live. But we live in a world that is fallen. And many times what happens is we get to a place where we say those words, well, I guess all we can do now is pray, which should have been the first thing. I'm going to pray. But when we get there, those disasters, for many of us, that dramatic event For many of us, it's a wake-up call so that we can also make an adjustment so that we don't sail into that fatal disaster that's ahead of us. So we have chapter 5 of Daniel, 31 verses of an an interruption from God at a cocktail party. And that's how it begins in the very few, uh, the first verses. So I'm going to give you uh, four W's. A wild party, then... A weird picture, then a wise prophet, and then a weighty announcement. Look at that, four W's. Thank you. And I checked, they're all spelled with W. English language. Oh, boy. Belshazzar is the king. So you start in verse one. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of lords. That's a lot of people. A thousand of his lords, and they drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, and the implication is, while he got a little tipsy. Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. Now, when it says his father, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was not his father. But in the Aramaic language that this was written in, there is no word for father specifically. So, so father literally refers to an ancestor. But Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. So, so just so that you understand, this is, this is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not so far removed from Nebuchadnezzar that he doesn't know what happened in his life. So verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which has been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, plural, and his concubines, again, plural, drank from them. Busy man. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So this is quite a party. And it's a very strange party. Do you know why? Why? Because of the date. The date is 539 BC, October 11th. This is what's so amazing about the scripture is that we have an exact date of when this occurred. History gives us the exact date. So October 11th, 539 BC. At this very time, while this party is underway, the enemy has surrounded the gates. The Medes and the Persians have collaborated. They've joined forces. And they are going to breach these unbreachable walls of Babylon, and they're going to overtake and overthrow the city and kill everybody in it. They've already captured Belshazzar's dad. Uh, His name was uh, Nabonidus. He's already been captured outside the city walls. Now, Belshazzar, his son, is inside, and he knows that they are surrounded. He knows exactly what's going on. So what does he do? He does what a government usually would do in a time of crisis. Let's have a party. (laughs) Right? Tax dollars well spent. There we go. And what a party it is, evidently. What's happening is the king is looking, or Belshazzar, who's currently the king in the town, is looking at the morale of the people and saying, yes, everybody's down. They should be. They're going to die. He's like, everybody's down. Let's change that. Let's bring wine. Um, Let's drink. And this will make everybody feel better. The city is surrounded. They're going to overtake us. So let's boost the sagging morale and let's throw a party. And at this party, there's a lot of wine and there's a lot of women. And as you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Men can do and say dumb things even without the help of wine. We have that ability. So here's the king. There's a party. They're having fun. They're praising the gods of Babylon. And the king has a great idea. He's thinking. Why are we drinking out of red Dixie beer pong cups? Let's go get the gold and silver mugs that we took from the temple in Jerusalem. And let's have our party with those mugs. It's going to be amazing. Now you have to remember what Nebuchadnezzar said a few chapters ago. Anybody who mocks the God of Daniel will be cut into pieces and his house will be burnt down. Now don't forget that because that's exactly what happens to this guy. Now it wasn't just something that he came up with in the moment. It was the custom before from the the Syrians, the Babylonians, that what they would do is they would specifically go against the faith or the religion of other nations they have captured then would do things to, to show off that they are greater than them because it makes them feel greater about themselves. So there's something that they've done in their culture before. Now, here's what is so amazing about this whole thing is, Belshazzar had information. He, he, knew, he knew about Daniel's God. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar has said about Daniel's God. He had information. Now you'll notice um, in the text as we go through it, that there are certain things that this king knew that most of the other people did not know about. Um, But this practice of defying the God was something that was common in the the time. Uh, Here's just a a proverb that I want to throw in here. Um, And I want to say this to anybody who wants to be wise and wants to be a leader. It says the following. Wine, Proverbs 20, wine produces mockers. Liquor leads to brawls. Whoever is led astray by drink cannot be wise. I wanted to just read that again. Wine produces mockers, because that's exactly what it produced in Belshazzar. Liquor leads to brawls. Whoever is led astray by drink. Cannot be wise. Your wisdom leaves you. So a wild party in Babylon. Now it gets even more strange in verse 5. Because from a wild party we now get a weird picture. It says, in the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him. How much did it trouble him, you asked? Thank you for asking. So that the joints of his hips were loosed and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried out aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, here goes the parade again, the soothsayers and everybody, everybody, just bring all the wise people. This king, the king spoke, saying um, to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now now I just want you <laughs> like this is don't just pass over this. Can you imagine we sitting? here and the next moment just a hand shows up no arm nothing now the first thing you you would think is you would think the wine was really good (laughs) because all the guy sees is a hand the problem with that is they were actual writing on the wall they still have the wall the wall is still there in the city. So, so you you in this party and suddenly a hand with a finger starts writing stuff on the wall. And this guy gets the shock of his life. That, I, like I don't, I, I, if you can just imagine, would that change your life? Pretty dramatic. I mean, it should change every single one of us. It says, whoever... Reads the writing and tells me interpretation shall be clothed with Perth." What's stranger is is that he didn't ask, does anybody know who that hand belongs to? <laughs> it's like that wasn't his first question. His first question is, if you can tell me what it says, I'm gonna give you stuff. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. And his lords were astonished. Now I don't know if there's anyone that have kept a record for the shortest time that it takes to get sober um, in an individual, but I think Daniel chapter five is probably it. A hand appeared not attached to a body or to an arm, just a hand that wrote something on a wall. The king well, he's nervous. He's fearful. It says he was astonished. His countenance changed. Why was he scared? The king's fear came from guilt because he had knowledge. He knows what's happening outside of the city walls. But he also knows about his grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar, and how God humbled him. And the the reputation of God in the kingdom of Babylon has been well tested. And I think, I think that when a person is guilty, when you feel guilty, all you can do is see life through that guilt lens. Everything that everybody else around you is doing you have this lens of guilt in front of you, and that's how you read everything that's happening. So what does he do? He brings the soothsayers of Babylon who cannot read the inscriptions. He brings the astrologers. Nobody knows what's going on. The question is, why couldn't they read it? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It, it doesn't say that, that it was written in, in um calligraphy, or it was written in a specific language, we don't know exactly why they couldn't read it, but I do see an incredible picture here of the natural man versus the spiritual man. The natural man, the Bible says, is the unsaved, the carnal man, the one that just looks at life as it is in front of him, that does not include God in anything. It's the natural man. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. But they are spiritually discerned. That's why unbelievers, they can hear a sermon, they can read a scripture in the Bible, um, they can hear a worship song, and it just don't quite make sense to them. They just don't get it. They can't figure it out. And here in Daniel chapter 5, here is a revelation from God written on a wall. And Daniel will be the only one able to figure out what God is saying. The rest of them can't figure it out. Now, I can't resist this part because it's so significant. I've heard this preached probably about 25 years ago um, where someone said, Can you think of another place in the Bible where God wrote something? John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, they bring Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And uh, they say to Jesus, Jesus, the law says that this woman must be stoned. What do you say? You know what Jesus said? Nothing. What did he do? He bent down on the ground, took his finger, and he started writing in the sand. And they saw what he was writing, and they all walked away convicted. The question has always been, what did Jesus write in the sand? The answer, we don't know. It doesn't say in the Bible. Maybe he wrote their names with their sins. Shlomo, lust. And Shlomo read it, and he goes, yeah. No, I'm not sticking around for this one. What? Avi. Greed. Avi moves along. But maybe, uh, what many say is that they feel that Jesus unveiled their secret indiscretions and their sins um, to them while he was writing it. And that's why they all departed. But I think, I really feel this is what he wrote. I feel he wrote on the ground about what we read about in Daniel chapter 5. Remember, everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. So so what would he have written in the ground? Mene, mene, tekel, you farsen. You've been weighed in the balances and found lacking. It would have been a story that all the Jewish leaders and scribes and, and lawmakers knew. Every single one of them knew what the meaning of it was. But either way, they could not interpret it. So the the soothsayers and the wise men, none of them could interpret um, in this chapter what this was all about. So they are scared. They are scared because of what is written on the wall. I have a question for you. Could there be handwriting on your wall? Could there be handwriting on the walls of your life right now, maybe? Maybe. That is, has God been trying to get your attention? Maybe a crisis that you're in or that you've gone through. Maybe a close call where there's an accident that just missed you. Or you just got out in time. But you're still here. Maybe a family member that has a crisis. It's not you, but somebody really close to you that's facing death. work related crisis finances the bible says in this world we will have troubles so i want you to know that crises god doesn't bring crisis it's it's in this world that we live in god does not need to create crisis to get your attention but in this world that we live in there will be trouble and there are crises and some people come to god because of his incredible love becomes revealed to them and they just go, yeah, I want to receive that for for my life. And some people come to God because where they are at a place of desperation. God will meet you at all of those places. Any one of those and in between. God will meet you. Now in a crisis, the first question most of us are tempted to ask is, how can I get out of this? the first question we ask most of the time when there's a crisis here's a new question I I, I want you to ask what can I get out of this I know what the enemy has in mind I know what the enemy is planning you don't have to worry you don't have to wonder I know what I wonder what the enemy wants to do with this situation he wants to kill steal and destroy we know that that's his plan it doesn't change will always remain the same but is God trying to say something to you, maybe? In the midst of this? Are there maybe principles that, that you, you've, you've strayed from? Are there choices and decisions that you've made? And God's calling you back and saying, hey, come back under the protection, come back under the umbrella. It's time for you to make a different direction in your life. So we have a wild party. We now had a weird picture, and now we have a wise prophet. So the queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God is, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpretation of dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Balthasar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation for what you are seeing. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke and said, Daniel, are you the Daniel who is the one captive by, from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you. <clears throat> the spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. I think Daniel is kind of yawning at this point in time. He's like, ah, gone through this a few times already. Just get to the point where you ask me what it means. <laughs> he's like in his 70s, 80s right now. So he's got a little bit more wisdom. <laughs> get to it already. And he's like, I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, shoot listen to this, listen to this reward. You will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold. Yeah. Bling bling. That's what you want right now when you know the enemy is about to kill everybody. And especially who who do they go after? The leaders. The promise. You will be placed as the third leaders. Like uh uh. (laughs) i don't want that not for me like he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom it's amazing to me that that belshazzar the king of babylon either didn't know who daniel was or he knew who daniel was and he has chosen to completely ignore him because daniel spoke truth he certainly knew about the, the incident with his grandfather that lost his mind for, for seven years, walking around like an ox eating grass. He, you can't tell me, like, where's granddad? <laughs> he's there in the pasture. <laughs> right? He knew what his grandfather went through. He knew about all of that. But later on, so he, he's having a party Everybody's getting drunk, and what's, what's amazing about this is Daniel is not invited to the party. He's not part of the drinking club. He's outside of it. So later on, he gets summoned, and he's called. He's called, and he comes. And, and now what you have here, this is a picture of the world again. We have to see this. Everything in this book of Daniel is so relevant to me in the life. Uh, in our lives and in this culture that we're living in. The natural man and the Christian. The world doesn't want to hear what Christians have to say until they need to hear what the Christians have to say. They certainly don't want to hear from preachers what they have to say often have that thing where you go out with people that you meet for the first time. and Everybody says their occupation. And then until they get, everybody's like, they're talking nice and freely. And, you know, they're just normal. And then until they ask me, so what do you do? Like, I'm a pastor. A what? (laughs) Right? A pastor. Oh. And then everything changes in them. (laughs) Like they become somebody else. But what will happen is, in a time of tragedy... I'm telling you, you guys sitting here, you know where the world's going to turn? To you. You've already felt this in your life. People really, they're not really interested in what Christians have to say. They don't really even care about what you think or have to say until the bottom drops out of their life. And they will come to you. They will. They, they're going to. Then they come and find you. and They say, can you please pray for me? And then we say, no. <laughs> it's too late now. I was going to do it yesterday. You didn't invite me. No. <laughs> Joseph Parker writes, an incredible writer. He writes the following. Preachers of the world, of the word. Listen to this. Preachers of the word. You will be wanted someday. By Belshazzar. You were not at the beginning at the feast. But you'll be, you will be there before the banquet ends. The king will not ask you to drink wine. But he will ask you to tell him the secrets of his pain. And to heal the torture of his heart. Abide your time. You're a nobody now. But the preacher will be given the opportunity. They will send for him when all other friends have failed. Be ready. All of you, be ready. Your friends are going to send for you. So verse 16, He and Daniel pauses it on. Uh, uh, Belshazzar pauses it on. He said, if you can read the writing And make known to me its interpretation. You will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, bling, and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Yet I will will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So at this point, Daniel, as I said, he's in his 70s or 80s about. It's been long since the beginning of the book of Daniel. He's been through a lot of stuff. He's like been there, done that, got the rewards. Um, Don't want the position. Don't want the gold. Don't need it. Could care less. Not tempted by it. But he says, I will tell you the interpretation. Verse 18. Oh, King. Now just listen to the sermon. Here we go. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom of majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people, all peoples, nations, languages trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from the kingly throne and they took his glory from from him. He was given um, and he was given from the son of man and his heart was made like a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Wow. Call a man of God, expect a sermon. Not just a pat on back. Oh, king, you're going to live forever. You're so nice. Because the king's going to die in a few hours. Daniel knew that. Daniel had predicted the fall of this kingdom. So, so he gets right to it. Daniel, in this little sermon, levels three hefty charges against the king. Number one, charge number one. You have disregarded knowledge. You have sinned against knowledge. You knew better. You knew what God did To Nebuchadnezzar. You knew what happened to your grandfather. And how after he repented and glorified God, how he was raised up again. You disregarded knowledge. I want you to hear this part because this this will answer a lot of your questions. God judges individuals and nations depending on the light of knowledge they have. I often get this question. Where people say to me, What about the pygmies and the bushmen that's never heard the gospel? You hear that all the time. What about people that have never heard somewhere? Well, you have heard. You have. I have heard. We have a different kind of light. God has revealed himself. He's made himself known to Canada. He's not a mystery to us. Let God worry about the pygmies. He loves them more than we do. We can trust him with that. Well, what about the people have never read the Bible? Oh, we've never had a Bible. You have one. Use it. Do we be worried about that more than the ones who don't have one? God judges us depending on the light we've received. How many sermons have you heard? How many, how many podcasts have you listened to and worship songs? How many how many services have you been in? Hundreds, thousands, sermon after sermon, truth after truth. We don't make the adjustment. So, charge number one was you've disregarded knowledge. Charge number two, you have defied the true God. Verse 23, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You didn't do this in ignorance. You did this in defiance. You are shaking your fist at the God that you knew humbled your grandfather. Defiance of God. Charge number three. Not only have you disregarded knowledge. Not only have you defined the true God. You have praised false gods. You are praising things that have no power. You have praised the gods of silver. Hello. Modern day. Gold. Bronze. Bitcoin. It wasn't there that day, but we could add that now. Iron. Wood. Stone. All the statues around Babylon. Babylon. Which you do not see, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. King Belshazzar, you pray and sing to a bunch of statues. They can't answer you back, they can't hear a word you say. What a contrast, is it not? These statues, these images, these false dead gods. And a living God who shows up in a party and writes with a finger on a wall. Look at that phrase. It's so vivid. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways. That's a God. Now we get to the final part of this, and this is a weighty pronouncement. I'm almost done. Sorry, guys, it's going longer. Um, Let's find out what this thing said and what it means. He continues in verse 24 the weighty uh, pronouncement. The finger of the hand was sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsan, which means numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Now he gives interpretation. Mene means numbered. Your kingdom is finished. Why does he say mene? Mene, um, to put it in a, in a better uh, vernacular terming, a term to understand, what he's saying is your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. You are done. You are finished. So in a few hours from now, by the way, that's exactly what happens to him. His days were numbered. He's finished. Psalm 90 says this teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. James puts it this way Our life is but a vapor, it's here for a moment vanishes away. It is appointed unto every man once to die, and after this judgment. Second word, tekel, which means weighed. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The word tekel, um weighed, implies the weight to put something on a scale and it's found light. You think that your works and your good things will be good enough for one day when you stand in front of the judgment seat of God to say, look at everything that I've done. And God goes, that is too light. It does not measure up to the sins. The balance is off. The final word, you farsen. You is another word for the word and. So it's actually um, numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. So farsen is for your kingdom. It will be, be divided between the Medes. You will be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. So let me tell you on um, just for a second what's going on here. Outside the walls of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, they've got this incredible uh, genius of a general Cyrus that's outside the city gates now these walls were 80 feet wide deep and you couldn't scale over them you couldn't get through them so what this this general does is he he says okay so there's the Euphrates river that runs through Babylon so what we're going to do is we're going to block the walls and defer the water so that the water level drops completely so the soldiers went through knee-high where the river was running through. That's how they infiltrated the city. So while this party is going on, the Persian army is now in, now in town. So your kingdom is divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. Verse 13, that very night Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, were killed, slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. In closing, worship team, you can come up. Um, and I want you to hear me. None of us are excluded from this. Please hear me. None of you are excluded from the handwriting on the wall. The same way those those lawmakers, which I believe what Jesus wrote on the floor, where none of them were excluded from it, you are not excluded from numbered, numbered, weighed, found light, divided. You are not excluded from that. All of our days are numbered. Every single one of us have been felt light. We are not Weighing up to the standards of righteousness. Not one of us. So you will have a final statement in your life. This is something that all of us will have. There will be a final statement that will come out of your mouth. There will be a last breath for everyone. And then there will be eternity. That's some handwriting. You will be facing the handwriting on the wall. But here's the good news. Colossians chapter 2. It says Jesus Christ has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting on the wall that says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're light, you've been weighed, your days are numbered, you're guilty. Jesus took it upon himself and he nailed that handwriting on the cross. So that on the final day of judgment, for a lot of people, the party is over. But for a lot of people, the party's just begun. God's been trying to get your attention. You're here today. Maybe this sermon, maybe this message is where God is speaking, where finally you're going to respond. He is saying, listen, I love you so much. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I've created you for amazing things. I want to invade your life and I want to show you what it is. I wonder what you'll say to him. Will you say the same thing as the communications officer on the Titanic said, shut up? Shut up. Stop trying to convince me that there's a God that loves me and that has a purpose and a plan for me. Just shut up with that. Or will you listen? Will you take this wake-up call and turn it into action today where you say, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to acknowledge you as God. And I'm going to serve you with my life. I dare you to take action. Because with that action, all judgment is removed from you. Apply this to your life. If you take the information that you've heard today and you take the action, it will bring celebration, not devastation. But if you don't, Don't be caught of God like Belshazzar. So I want to ask everybody to bow their heads, please. Um, and and uh, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, and, and this message is like convicting you, like it's in your heart, you, you realize, man, I've never said yes to, to Christ. And, and, and I, if I have to be weighed, I know my days are numbered. I know every single one of us are going to die. But if my life is to be weighed, Just based on me, I fall short. I am light. I am too light to pay for all my sins. But if today you want to say, Jesus, I accept you that has already taken the payment for my sins. And you you are more than weighty. You've covered every area of my life. I accept your payment. I accept what you've nailed to the cross on my behalf. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus before, and you want to say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, I want to ask you, just raise your hand and you can take it down again. I'm going to say it again. If you've never said yes to Jesus before, and today's the day we go, Jesus, I raise my hand. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. Come into my life. I surrender. I want to give you the opportunity just to raise your hand. You can take it down again. We're just going to pray with you. Thank you. Now, for those of you, I know, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I know that God has been sending a lot of wake-up calls to a lot of people that's in this room. And the alarm keeps going off and you keep putting it on silent. Let me just slumber for another five minutes. Let me just slumber for, for... Mark spoke this morning about how God prompted in his heart in November to look for another position. And he got another position, and and this weekend the job that he was at, was at went bankrupt and just closed their doors. Are you listening to the warning signs and to the directions, directional signs that God has given you, or are you ignoring it because it's going to be hard? Might be difficult. I want to say to you this morning: God has been calling, sending signals, warning. There's icebergs. Change direction. Respond. Take an action. If you feel in any way today that, that you are the one that's been ignoring the signs, I want to ask you to raise your hand because we want to pray for you for boldness and courage to take the steps that you are supposed to take to enter into what God is calling you. So if you've been ex- ignoring the signs from God, raise your hand now so that we can identify and recognize that we have to respond. Amen. Thank you. Here we go. Thank you. I see that. Fantastic. Every every eye closed, every head bowed. Father God, let's please pray after me. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that your plans are good. Thank you that your son paid for all my sins. That to the cross was nailed the fact that I am too light. But because of you, Jesus, I can stand before the Father and know That on the day of judgment, I will receive the reward of heaven. Father, where I've ignored your warning signs, I repent and I ask for forgiveness. Where I've ignored the signals that you've been sending me, please forgive me. Holy Spirit, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. I pray for wisdom. I pray for insight. The things that I've been ignoring, stir them up in my heart again so that I will take the steps that you are calling me to take even when they are hard. I do not want to live in a slumber, but I want to be awake and take the actions that you are calling me to take. Thank you, God. Amen. Life Church, I call, I call you, I dare you to take action. I dare you. That person, that friend, that's been on your heart for so long, that person that you can't get them out of your head or out of your mind or out of your decision making, that one that you have this urgency for. I dare you to start taking an action to take that next step of how can, I, how can I influence them to see the kingdom of God. I dare you to not just stand back and let them deal with their own handwriting on the wall. Care enough to take action. Invite people. Take them to your home. Invest into their lives. Show them you care. Compassionate confrontation. God wants to use you. To influence this whole community and beyond. But you got to take the action. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.